welcome to the first ever special bonus episode of the TLPF podcast. This is the 420 special with Dr. K and Hemps. How you doing? Recorded after 420 and quite a bit late, but but, but still. It's still there, man. It's the thought that counts. (laughs) How you doing, Hemps? How you doing? I'm I'm good, yeah. It's Ramadan at the moment, and um, I'm struggling with the lockdown and fasting. But yeah, it's it's all right, you know. Just Props trying to get you, the man. sleep schedule there. Yeah. <laughs> so this episode, we're going to do a bit differently. Seth's going to host this episode. So, what albums are we going to be talking about today? So we're going to be talking about Mike Dean's new instrumental album, Four Twenty, and we're going to be talking about one of the holy grails of hip-hop, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. Looking forward to this one. So, should we go for Tracks of the Week? Let's start with the Tracks of the Week. What's your Track of the Week this week, Hamza? My Track of the Week, talking of legendary producers, is mm. by The Four Owls and the one and only DJ Premier. It's called a hundred percent. There ain't no magic here. Rhymes hang above your head like a chandelier. Usually serve them cold like a can of beer. First they were bold, then they ran in fear. I ain't gassed up, but just for safety, don't hold no candles near. I wear a chain made of snake carcass. Decorate my crown with chunks and pieces of the faint hearted. And this is just it the beat's amazing. It's just classic primo stuff. And you got the four owls doing what they do best, you know killing it lyrically and yeah. all sorts of clever flows and witty lyrics and they've, e- yeah, they've each got such a strong personality don't they mm. if you've not heard of the four owls definitely check them out we we went mm. and saw them live and it's just funny seeing so four good. men come out <laughs> in owl masks i'll never forget that but yeah and this isn't the first really time that they've collaborated with premier either yeah um they did think twice not, think not twice, too long yeah. ago and that was again another brilliant track. Bang on. Yeah, yeah. Check them out. Four hours. High Focus Records as well. That's their label. Like it's it's just a goldmine. Everything on mm. there. So UK hip hop. Yeah, if you're into UK hip hop, or you want to get into it, check it out. It's it's its own thing. It's really really good. So what's your track of the week? So my track of the week this week is Chips Zero Four Twenty, which is a tribute to Black the Ripper, and it's Chip's always been an amazing lyricist, and this is a very heartfelt, very personal, very, very powerful piece of songwriting. And honestly, I, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but just listen to it for yourself and see see what, see what you make of it. It's, it's a very, very strong, very strong piece of music. Uh, listen, look, I see OG rappers turn to online chatters Look, if Chippy does retire, bet he's going out snapping I've been sitting thinking life, death and survival They on the other side of 35 and still trying to be viral Got the message that my uncle died Couple hours later, Ashley at my door knocking Opened up, said Black the Ripper died Good Friday, just around the corner This is not a vibe, I can't lie I probably need a hug, but it's Corona times the Yeah, I had to listen to it It's it's, it's strong, man it's, it's You can tell it's from the heart And it mm. goes into some details you wouldn't expect so definitely definitely worth listen i also want to give a special shout out this week to some legends of music black sabbath these guys if you don't know them you have to you have to you have to listen to them they are the inventors of heavy metal they're (laughs) they're the proper ogs 
and tying in to this week's theme, they are the originators of Stone and Metal. If you listen to their album, Master of Reality, that is... that, that oh, Words can't describe it. But you've got, you've got anthems on there like Sweet Leaf, Children of the Grave, Into the Void, that are, that are just timeless classics. And you, you need to check them out, man. They've just stood the test of time. And I think they will forever. So Black Sabbath, all their albums, they're amazing. Check them out. <laughs> Go chronologically. Check it out. Have a Technique of the week. So, technique of the week. This is the segment <laughs> where Seth gives me a technique he's going to use to make music and I'm going to judge it. What have you got this week? So, last week we looked at getting cool bass sounds out of your cat. Now this week we're going to look at another, another cool bass sound that you can get. So, for this technique you'll need some speakers or some studio monitors with decent bass and some king size rolling papers. I don't know where you're going with this. Okay, okay. Just just wait. It's, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> I just want to say big up to Shay Stedford as well. He showed me this technique back in college. Um, he's, he's a legend. Check him out. What you do, you get the paper, you stick it onto the woofer of your speaker, right? Right. Now, obviously, the sticky bit probably isn't going to stick, so you might need a bit of tape. But you basically tape that on top of the, the woofer bit, and then you take sine wave just some pure bass out of your computer mm. coming out right. of the speaker and what, what that's going to do is it's going to vibrate the paper and it's going to create like a little buzz and then what you do is you put a mic in front of your speaker and you're recording yep. the bass with that buzz of the paper and it just gives it like an extra bit of grit an extra bit of high end and it, it makes it sound right. like a live bass it makes it feel more unique and it's try it out. It's you might you might hate so, the sound, but it does sound good. You can get really creative it, with it. It's a piece of paper vibrating, making a bass sound. Yes, cool. What you're doing by adding that paper is you're adding a bit more, a bit more high end, a bit more ton- tonality, and you're basically turning that from just a frequency into its own sound, its own instrument, and so it mm. feels more unique. It's got more texture. It's got more character to it. And you could just stick a distortion plug-in on, on your sine wave, which, you know, often sounds really good. But if you're going for something a bit different, if you want something a bit grittier, a bit more live... So, this week's technique of the week, if you've got some paper, stick it on your speaker and make a bass sound. Yes. Right, so the first album we're going to be looking at this week is Mike Dean's 420. Now this is an instrumental album. It's an hour and a half of just pure synthy goodness. And it is basically... If you're a fan of Travis Scott, Kanye, or any other synth-heavy shit in recent years, you're a fan of Mike Dean, because he is the man behind all of that. And honestly, if you look at his credits, he's everywhere. So we'll go into that a bit more later. But for now, I just want to talk about this album itself. This is his first studio album, 
which is pretty incredible considering mm. he's been at the forefront of the industry for the past four decades or so. It's interesting. Has he ever done any tapes or anything beforehand? This is literally all I've heard from him, like, in terms N- of Not that I know career. of, in terms of solo stuff. Because, I mean, this... I believe this was a result... A lot of these were um, a result of the... He was doing some synth live streams on Instagram uh, yep. prior to this. So I watched a couple of those. And I think he used some of that in this album. And I'm not sure. I think a lot of this was... Uh, stuff had done before as well but I'm, I'm not i'm not too sure about the process behind it uh yeah so I, I was gonna ask you if you if you knew that the all the song titles are called the fifth day the sixth yeah, day yeah. do you know the story behind that no i do not but <laughs> okay i mean this album if you look at uh mike dean's artist page you know it says so linked to 420 it says take a journey through space and time and I think mm. that's what that's this what album feels like, isn't it? That's yeah. what this album's made to do is to, is to take you to to that <laughs> place, to that to that sacred holy place, man. But yeah, honestly, mm. this is <clears throat> this whole album is just a, a soundscape in and of itself. Oh yeah. And as a massive, massive synthhead myself, like this is just for for anyone that's into synths and just sonics and all of that stuff. This is just an hour and a half of ear porn, pretty much. <laughs> it's so nice to listen to. It, it's a gift. Like, it's completely unsolicited. No one was expecting it. And then Mike Dean's just suddenly like, yeah, I'm dropping an instrumental album. And everyone's just like, oh, shit, that's going to be amazing. <laughs> and honestly, it did not disappoint. Completely agree. The sounds are incredible on this album. Like, even yeah. if you're not that into... The- like the musicality you don't really know too much about sims mm. you can just put this on in the background and it will take you on a journey he's a very talented musician as well so he plays so many instruments and you'll hear it in this album quite a lot as well is he'll be doing his thing on the synths he's just got racks and racks of synths just of, of all shapes and sizes and sounds and textures and then he'll just hop on the rose he'll hop on the piano mm. He'll lay down a guitar solo and he'll do, he'll do some sequencing in Ableton. And, you know, it's, it's all just, you don't expect any of it. A lot of the joy of this album is kind of figuring out where he's going to go next. Yeah. And it, it's just so, it's just so fun to listen to. If you're not, if, you, if you're listening to me talking about this right now and you're not into hip hop or synths or any of that stuff, I would suggest listening to this album. Go into it as you'd listen to, say, a classical work or a mm. jazz standard or something like that. You know, listen to what the music's trying to tell you. Because he is a musician. He was classically trained as a kid. He said yeah. in many interviews that the most important musical figure in his life was his piano teacher. And he, he grew up playing Chopin, Mozart, Beethoven, and all of that stuff. He played bassoon for like 12 years. He was in an orchestra. And so this guy has a very, very diverse musical background, which is a lot of the joy of this album as well. You can hear all the different musical influences he's got going on. Yeah. He really fucking knows his shit. And this is him displaying all that in full. So I would not say this isn't a hip hop album. It's, <laughs> it's just pure music. One of the other things about this album as well is it's actually got a lot of imperfections in it. And... That's just because a lot of it was played in live, and so yeah. it just feels a lot more real, you know. It's it's not 
just all sequenced and quantized and soulless. This is him expressing himself through his instruments. And That's something that yeah. I felt I've needed more recently. Like everything exactly, yeah. feels like planned and too perfect at the exactly. moment. You know, people like using I'm I'm guilty of it as well. Like just fixing mistakes yeah. in Ableton is so easy and you don't get that roughness of a live set anymore, you know, just exactly. like little imperfections that make the record. And if you if you go back like classic stuff is full mm. of it. You know, when if you look at old records, it's full of that. And it just adds character to the piece. Is that, this is a lot of what we were talking anymore. about in previous episodes when we mentioning analog as well. Is mm. a lot of that magic comes from the imperfections. I'll put this in the playlist, but if you listen to When the Levy Breaks by Led Zeppelin at 1.34 in the song, there's a bit of a really glitchy kind of hi-hat in the right ear. And I mean, that sounds to me like a kind of error with the, the, the tape reel or something. I, I don't know the science behind the old analog equipment. Right. But you can tell it, it wasn't intended to be there, but they left it in. Mm. They probably heard it. They probably <laughs> noticed it, but they're like, nah, you know what? We're going to leave it because it sounds cool. Yeah. And that's, there are so many examples of that in pop music. So you know the song Roxanne by The Police? Mm. So in the intro for that, if you listen to it, it's got Sting sitting on a piano and he's laughing about it. And they left that in. <laughs> that wasn't intended to happen, but they left it in. And yeah. that's one of the biggest songs ever. So it just goes to show, you know, a lot of the magic comes from leaving the mistakes in. I think it was Andy or Glyn Johns or someone, one of the Led Zepp's engineers said, leave the hair on. That's yeah. that's that's where the soul is, man. My favorite band is the White Stripes. You know, they they had exactly. like homeless people coming. They were in Detroit recording, and like homeless people would just walk into the house while they were recording really? the album. They just oh, leave shit. shit in. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so this this whole album is very very musically rich. And honestly, man, as soon as I finished listening to this album for the first time, it was straight on the keys. Straight on the synth, man. Like, I was inspired. Like, I was listening it to this shit. Very inspiring. I was, I was just, I was just listening. I was like, oh my god, one day I want to make something like this. <laughs> I want something as good as this, man. It's honestly, it just tickles your ears. Just, just for that whole. Oh, honestly, I've, I've said many times before. I like it when you hear an artist in their career make an album that they couldn't have made previously. Yeah. Like it's a combination of all the experience. There's no better example than this album, you know. Exactly, I think yeah. that's maybe why he waited to bring out his first solo album because mm. he wanted to pick up, you know, knowledge and refine his skills. And this is just him, like, spazzing out and just he's flexing. Like, he's just doing whatever the fuck he wants, man. This yeah. is what... He's he's not doing it for any, any other artist. He's not mm. collaborating with anyone. He's doing it for himself. This is the shit that Mike Dean loves. Yeah. This is Mike Dean expressing himself. So... Fucking hell, man. Fair play to him. It's it's one of those albums. You know, there's no doubt that like this isn't done commercially or anything. Exactly. He's just... He wanted to make this, so he put it out. An interesting thing I read about um, Mike Dean, actually, is, is an interview, one of his interviews. So he was saying that he often doesn't have a lot of time to work on his own shit. But obviously now with coronavirus, COVID-19, all mm. of that, lockdown, you know, now now he's got all the time to do his own shit. That's where the live streams came from as well. Yeah. So if there is a silver lining to this whole situation, it is this album. 
Oh, do you think so? The fifth day might be the fifth day of lockdown. Oh shit! When was it? I wonder when it was recorded. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Oh, oh. And and the name four twenty yeah. has done like a time four twenty. Maybe he did this at four twenty every day. Like, well, this this month April is is four twenty for a whole month. Oh, that's true. Oh shit. Yeah. Well, if we ever get Mike Dean on the podcast, there's, there's levels we'll to this, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, so so we're not late for four twenty. Oh wait, no. As long as we're doing it in April. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, people. There you go. Oh, it's it's gonna it's gonna come out after April, though, isn't it? Uh, come out first week of May. I mean, we depends how fast we get the edit done. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, that's 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 interesting, man. I've not thought about that. Okay. <laughs> okay, no, man. If I ever meet my dean, like, I, I, I wish we knew that at the start of April. We could have, ah, uh, fuck, whole month for four twenty. Whole so it's a, I suppose every every episode this podcast then has been a four twenty, yes, episode, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sick. Well, this is like quite a general point about music, but when I talk about Madlib, for example, he's he's my favorite artist of all time. And mm. I often describe when I'm talking to him, when I'm, ta- when I'm talking about him to someone that doesn't know his music, you know, I often describe his music as like a collage of sound, like just yeah. all, all these samples just mixed together so, so expertly and they take you to another place, you know, another dimension. It's a soundscape, all sorts of colours, flavours and, and all of that. And so while I think that Madlib, he, he'll always be the greatest of all time for me. Yes. I see Mike Dean as someone that has that same ability, but with his synths and his instruments. Because mm. there's so much going on in his work, and he really knows how to grab the listener. And that's what yeah, I think good I music should do. Which is why I believe this it's, album it's is like good music. With, with Madlib, his instrument was like the MPC and that exactly. kind of thing. You he know? turned Whereas that into an instrument. Mike Dean, his, like I love people that have an instrument. Exactly. Like, you can tell... Yeah. They have mastered that. That's their go-to thing exactly. to just jam on. And yeah, he has his with, sound with as Mike well. Dean is yeah. it is the synthesizer. Exactly. He's he's mastered it. He's mastered it. And I'd also suggest as well check out some of his videos on YouTube. <clears throat> so I would recommend looking at the um, the synth streams. They're all up on YouTube. That just shows him doing it live in the moment, completely unedited. Very very fascinating to watch. And also he's. Um, he works with Moog a lot, and they've uh, they've got a couple of videos of him working in their factory, for example. That one was amazing. And then there's also a video of him doing The Eighth Night, which is up on YouTube. And, yeah, that's honestly just watching him, hearing him do it is amazing. But watching him do it is, <laughs> it's just, it blows your mind. Like, this is all coming from one human. Love for my, love for my. I just want to say as well about this album. I actually played a game of uh, FIFA 11 to this. And I won. Right. I won. Okay. So cool. If that's, if that's your benchmark for so, albums. I four, don't think that's anyone's benchmark for albums. The, the fact FIFA that... 11? Yeah. It was on the DS. 
I think you can safely say you're the only person in the world to have ever played <laughs> FIFA 11 on DS to Mike Dean's 420 <laughs> and won a game can't forget that 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 should be a world record, right? Should we, Mate, should we call I, up I Guinness? Like, should we get get I'll, them them yeah, in on man, this? We should. I won like eleven one <laughs> in that game, you know. Well, that's, it wasn't a clean sheet, but it's still ten goal difference. Did did you have the bots on easy? No, I actually had them on world class. On world, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was the gold tournament cool. as well? <laughs> just 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 saying, just saying. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I guarantee I'm not the only one who's done that. And if I am, I recommend you. You're not it. the only one. You're not the only one to play FIFA 11 on DS to this album. Nah. If I am, if I am, that's that's sick. But I recommend everyone tries it. I don't think anyone else is playing FIFA 11 full stop. I'm telling you, man. This al- this album is going to be your superpower. I, I I wasn't talking about the album. I meant FIFA 11. No one's playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, man. FIFA 11 is like the best game ever created in history. <laughs> ever. We should probably say for the viewers, Seth's still on the Xbox One. And we don't mean the new <laughs> Xbox One. We mean the, the OG 2000 and whatever. There's nothing wrong with that console, box. That's the same age as me. I'll buy you Counter-Strike for it. I saw that's the thing <laughs> the other day. Exactly. It's like this horrible port of Counter-Strike. <laughs> It looks worse than the PC one. I'm not going to play it. I'm, but, yeah. I've, I've been playing uh, Underground 2, Need for Speed. That's a good game. That's a really good game as well. Yeah. I've been playing uh, the original Forza as well. That's... Man, as far as gaming goes, man, it's, you can't really... Except for FIFA 11 on right. the DS, you know. You maybe maybe be... we should upgrade you to like PS2. P- oh, <laughs> man. That's the dream. That's the dream. Maybe PS3. I don't know. That might be a that's, step that's too, too far. far. That's too far. That's too far. Too far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the world is upgrading at the moment to the next gen. We got the yeah. Xbox Two coming out. Really. <laughs> and PS Five. PS Five as well. So you know, you might need to step up. So yeah, you should you should upgrade to the new consoles. You know, Mike Dean's been doing the soundtracks for stuff like Modern Warfare. Oh, really? The new COD. Yeah, oh shit! And okay. you're just missing so much music in gaming. Like GTA soundtracks are insane recently. Oh, yeah. They got Mike Danny Dean Brown and Freddie, and Freddie Gibbs, Gibbs did a song. Yeah, that that was another one. Yeah, they did yeah. a song for GTA. Selling dope. Mike Dean, Freddie Gibbs. Amazing, amazing. Tune. So you know, if not for the games, you should upgrade for music. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, you might have sold me. If on you that one, if you upgrade your FIFA. You know, Run the Jewels have been doing the soundtracks for some of the FIFAs. Oh, Anderson Pack's been on them. Oh, shit. Not, like, <laughs> they've been featured on the soundtrack. Shit, man. Yeah. I, I remember saying to someone that um, I'm into Run the Jewels, and they were like, aren't they on the FIFA soundtrack? <laughs> That's the only way they knew them. But, yeah. Yeah, man, my, my FIFA 11 soundtrack is pretty, it's pretty dated, to be fair. Yes, it's got some decent songs in there, but I've heard. I, I think that's why people buy the new Fifas. To be honest, I don't see any other reason. What else changes? Nothing. It's the same game. That's a very good point. Just, actually. just update the soundtrack. That's why they pay fifty quid every year. Anyway, back to Mike Dean. Right. So I said at the start of this that Mike Dean, you probably know him for his work with Kanye, with Travis Scott, and all of those guys. 
he is a producer, he's an engineer, he's a multi-instrumentalist. And in his work, you'll hear him fusing everything, right? But he's been in the game for a very long time and he's played a very big part in shaping a good few waves of music. And so his approach and his discography is very is very interesting to look into. So obviously in the modern context, I'd say he's most he's most famous for his work on albums like Rodeo and Jesus. Albums like The Life of Pablo, for example, if you look at those credits, he's on pretty much every song. And Kanye himself has described him and Mike Dean as being like a band. So the song that introduced Mike Dean to Kanye was a Kanye-produced song called Guess Who's Back by a guy called Scarface with Jay-Z and Beanie Siegel. And basically, Dean was working on that Scarface album and he mixed that track. And Kanye liked the mix so much that he asked him to work on the college dropout. In fact, I believe he wow. said, who mixed that? I want them to mix my album. <laughs> and since then, they've worked together more and more and more. And at the moment, he's basically Kanye's right-hand man in the studio. Yeah. And he was only credited for his mixing up until graduation, which is when he started getting more into the production side of it. So Stronger, for example, that was that's produced by Mike Dean. And he said that mm. was the hardest song to finish off, um, off graduation. And he's also said that Power was the hardest song to finish off Twisted Fantasy. And it went through, like, it was a good few mixing engineers and they're all doing, like, 20 mixes each or something. I, I love that song so much. Right. Going back to gaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. the best trailer ever made for a game, in my opinion, is Saints Row the Third. Oh, and yeah, it, yeah. It's set to Power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's an incredible... Yeah, that while, like, it's just... It's all synced up to power and yeah. like slow motion just shooting in this nightclub it scenario. Is really cool, man. It's yeah. Definitely check that one out. <clears throat> the, there's a level in game that is exactly like that as well. Kanye's that's yeah. it's one of my favourite songs and I think it gets overused in adverts and stuff. Kanye Kanye has actually said annoying, himself but he did some massive interview recently with uh, with GQ. And he said at one point that Power was his least favourite song of Twisted Fantasy. Really? Because it wasn't really pushing anything, he didn't think. It had it, kind of been heard before, which you mm. know, I, I, hear, I hear what he's saying. Obviously, it's still it's an amazing song. It's a strong tune, though, isn't it? Oh, obviously, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think a lot of Kanye's genius and what people love him for is that he's always pushing things forward. He's always trying to do something mm. different, which is what a lot of people hate him for. But when you look at his albums in retrospect, that's a, a lot of people often see the beauty in them a lot more. Yeah, I'm sure we've mentioned Jesus. Oh, like, yeah, we mentioned that was time, yeah. a controversial album on release. I didn't even really like it when I first heard it. But going back to it now, you can't deny its influence. Oh, and so good. Honestly, it's, it's, yeah, it's my favourite one. Like We're into Run the Jewels and I love Peggy and mm. stuff like that. They they probably wouldn't be doing what they're doing exactly <laughs> like without albums it, like that coming out. It was a very kind of maximalist approach, and it was just just super abrasive and in your face and loud mm. and it's, oh, it's so brash. And it's just there's nothing that you, you you well there's a lot that you can dislike about it. That depends on the person, but for me, honestly. I can't. I can't really fault it, man. Uh, going back to it now, I love it. Yeah. Like just the production alone sells it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think for me, that's the thing uh, about Kanye. 
I don't like Kanye that much. His personality, I think, like he's got this strong bravado and all that. But I think a lot of the time, I prefer him as the producer mm. and like just the beats. Like he works with Mike Dean and all that. But like just as as a producer and like he can choose beats really mm. well. I think he's he's got that skill of yeah, like yeah, yeah. Twisted Fantasy is a good example of this. He can bring people to. It's like the director of a film. He's, he's the director of his albums. It's you similar know? to what he Dre can bring was doing in the right Chronic people and, and like kind of what Dre yeah. does in all his albums. It's he's an orchestrator. Yes, that's the that's, perfect. That's word. what he is. He's he's composing all this all this amazing music. He's arranging everything and he's taking all these amazing ideas, all these amazing musicians, and he's putting them all into one work of art. And that's his genius. Yeah, well, that's what a lot of people don't see. Well, we're definitely we're going to talk about Dre in a minute, but yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we, we, with Dre, I want to hear him more, and with Kanye, I want to hear him less. But yeah, yeah, equally, yeah. I think they're great orchestrators. Definitely, definitely. Another thing with Mike Dean is he was a massive pioneer of the whole Dirty South sound. So that's artists like Scarface, Ghetto Boys, Pimp C, Bun B, which are UK UGK, E Forty, and a label called Rapalot Records. And the southern hip-hop scene is is something that I'm literally only just starting to properly learn about and appreciate because it's not as well known and it doesn't get as much credit as the East and West Coast stuff, but it's arguably just as influential. So, okay. for example, there would be no Young Thug without the eccentricity of Lil Wayne. There would be no mm. Cardi B without the brashness of Trina. And there would be no albums yeah. like Twisted Fantasy for all its experimentation and the blurring of genre lines without albums like Aquemini by Outkast. Yes. And I can keep going, man. Like the gritty DIY sound of groups like Suicide Boys and City Morgue. That was pioneered mm. by the likes of 3-6 Mafia. And as well, if, if you think about it, the most popular sound of modern music is Trap. And that originated from the south as well so you had artists like Jeezy and ti and if you think about a newer example you got future he's from atlanta mm. and he was one of the most important turning points for the sound and the content of rap today and i've said it before and i'll say it again in 30 years in 30 years or so right when people look back at this era of rap future's one of those names that's just it's always going to come up as a pioneer regardless of yeah. whether you love him or hate him so basically the south doesn't get as much credit as the east coast and the west coast it's not as as well publicized but a lot of classics and a lot of music originates from there and i'm only just learning about how many artists that i actually listen to all the time that are from the south that i never knew before right so let's take an album like the diary by scarface which mike dean also worked on that was a very seminal album and paved the way for a lot of the the raw gritty street tales so so albums like good kid mad city for example that wouldn't be there without the diary by scarface and you take an uh, an, an, an artist like biggie he was a lot more commercially successful and you know you, that, that's up for debate as to why in my opinion he's he, he's probably my favorite rapper ever but yeah. he was a lot more commercially successful because of the cinematic luxury that they could afford, that Bad Boy could afford. Puff, all of those guys. They had a bigger budget. They could they could clear more samples. They could fucking 
they 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 had no limits. They could do whatever they wanted. Going back to Mike Dean, this whole sound of the Dirty South is is heard in some of his more recent productions as well. So I'm thinking of his stuff like of of, of his stuff with Freddie Gibbs, for example. So on Shadow of a Doubt, track fifteen, and and their Radio Los Santos song, for example, on GTA, selling dope. That's yep. got that. That's got that whole Dirty South kind of gritty <laughs> sound to it. Interestingly enough, I was reading something yesterday where I saw an old tweet from Mac Dean in like 2012 where he was, uh, I believe it was, it was it was an indirect towards ASAP Rocky because right. ASAP Rocky's from Harlem and Mike Dean was basically insinuating that he was biting the sound of the South. And ASAP Rocky's response to that which I think is very, very, very important for modern music, is that the shit that he makes is, and his generation, the younger generation, mm. is a lot of a lot of our music is is a stylistic melting pot of yeah. everything. Because you know, in today's day and age, like, look at me and you for you example, when we make stuff. Like, we've got access to, to anything that we want to listen to. We have at our fingertips. And so when we make shift, we want to throw anything in a song, we can do that. So all, all the countries, even though we're more connected because of the internet, everywhere's got their own scene. Like mm. we, we were talking about drill recently. Ireland's got mm. its own drill scene. Australia's got its own drill scene. But they're all really unique in, in their sound yeah. and they take a unique spin on it. Yeah, drill, drill's a very interesting one as well. And we we spoke a bit about Heady One. Mm. And yeah, it, it's it's. I think it's very interesting to see where drill's gonna go. Uh, I'd love decade. to see Mike Dean do some drill. Oh man, imagine! I really hope he does. I really, really hope mm. he does. But drill, um, it's definitely a genre to to get on mm. for sure. So essentially, what I'm saying is that Mike Dean hasn't just come out of nowhere and done the newer stuff. He's not gone straight to Travis. He's not gone straight to Kanye. He's had a very important role in sculpting the sound of hip-hop over the past three decades. And he's still at the forefront of some of the most adventurous, genre-defining, boundary-pushing music out there today. And that's something that not a lot of people can say, especially for someone as behind the scenes as Mike. He's not a celebrity he doesn't mm. get that same recognition. But if you're in that world, you know, and someone says the name Mike Dean, you know, that's that's automatically yeah. associated with legend. Because he's done so much and played <laughs> such a big part. I mean, even before the hip hop stuff um that, that he started working on, he was playing keyboards and and this was his break. Um mm. but he was playing keys and he produced for an artist called Selena, who was very big. Very, yep. very big, and she was known as the queen of Tejano music, which is a Mexican American Tejano music. Tejano. I think I'm saying that right. Right. I'm guessing it's a silent J, um, but it's it's a Mexican American. Feel like style. we butchered it anyway. We pro- I probably butchered Selena as well. It's probably you're probably <laughs> supposed to say it different. Um, oh man, if, if you're Spanish and you're listening to this, I'm I'm really sorry, <laughs> but but yeah. Uh, that's a that's a some Mexican American style that's fusing Mexican, European, and US influences. 
kind of original. It kind of came out of Texas, the Texas area, which is where Mike Dean right. Mike Dean's from. I think when they stopped working together was because he produced her first album, but she was quite young when he was working with her. I think right. she was like he started working with her when she was like eight or something, and up until oh she was that like young thirteen. Yeah, yeah, he was a teenager when he was doing this as well. Okay. Um, but her dad was kind of put putting all this together. And when he was producing her first album, that that all went great. But he was trying to get her to cross over s- singing from Spanish lyrics to, to English lyrics and kind of cross right. over into that whole side of the industry as well. But her father wasn't having it. So mm. basically that, that was the end of Mike Dean's working relationship with selena let's see but yeah that's basically how we got to start so so what did they put out they put put out an album or yeah so he was work he was a live keyboardist for a while and then yeah they put an album together one of the things that he said that he thinks that he brings to the table when he's working with kanye is that he doesn't fall in love with his ideas so he can play something and if Kanye doesn't like it he can just keep playing stuff until Kanye hears something that he does like that, and that's a skill that I need to pick up because sometimes I play exactly. something and I'm like yeah. this is so good so, man I, I, you don't yeah. like this exactly yeah you, you get trapped in ideas yeah but, I mean do, doing something like that like, like my Dean does you know that's that's not something that you can do efficiently <clears throat> on the level of Kanye West if yes. you want extremely proficient at what you do. This is something I wanted to talk about because imagine, like you said, he was Kanye West's right-hand man. Imagine working that closely with Kanye. Like, Jesus, <laughs> you see in the media like how temperamental he can be on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> Kanye is genuinely... He's, he's, to me, he seems like he's genuinely very passionate about the music and that's what he puts first. Yep. You know, even even his his last album, Jesus is King. I I personally didn't like that album. I didn't enjoy mm. it, but I still respect it because he's doing yeah. what he wants. He's found God or whatever, and he's making an album about that. And I, he knows he's he's going to drive some people away. He knows some people aren't going to like it. Yeah. But I, I personally, like as much as I don't believe in God or religion or any of that, I still really respect that he's doing what he wants, and. He's he's doing it for the music. Yeah. Reading up on the Twisted Fantasy sessions is very interesting as well. Well, obviously they they did it in Hawaii, and they flew everyone in, and they all ate dinner together every night, and it was. It sounds like a sounds mad, isn't it? That that album is so cinematic. It feels like yeah. he was the director of a film. It, exactly. I think that was the whole idea because even, you know. When they were in the studio, there was a rule where you couldn't take your phone in. I think it was no phones, right. no tweeting about the album, no, none of that. So it was when they were making that album, everyone was in that that one mm. zone, that focusing on that world, and that's we don't we don't get that enough. We don't get that enough. I think when people talk about music being disposable, it's because it's not had that level of love put into it. Yeah. And this is why 10 years later, Twisted Fantasy still stands tall as an mm. incredible album. Yeah. And it, it will do for decades to come, I think. All right, moving on. So one of the things that was so revolutionary about The Chronic 
which is going to be our next album today, was that it was the first hip-hop album to fully embrace live instrumentation as opposed to samples and DJs. And it influenced the rest of the genre to push its sound forward. But this is something that Mike Dean has always been doing since he started out in hip-hop. So here's something that he said in a 2013 pre-Jesus interview with NPR. Right. So he says this, I quote, I think I was one of the first people that really started playing a lot of live instruments on rap stuff. Before that, it was all samples. I've always been anti-sample. I've never put a sample in a song myself. I always cover up samples and elaborate on samples. I always try to be original. And then the interviewer says, <clears throat> okay, because Kanye used to sample a lot. And then Matt Dean mm. says, yeah, it's the same thing as the hip-hop thing. I've turned into a sample fixer, an elaborator. Sometimes we'll put a sample in something and build on it so much that we'll take the sample away and it turns yeah. into something else. And so I think that this is this is testament to his musicality as well as his skills as a producer. That's and something I, I that, wanted to talk about yeah. with Dre as well because he is weird. So when you think of Dre, you don't think of like samples and scratching, but it's all yeah. over the chronic. You know, exactly, he he's, exactly. he's very influenced by the East Coast, you know, mm. but then he adds his own flavor onto that and builds it up. Exactly. And I think that's what makes that album so amazing. And in but turn, he was that very so much as well. Yeah, he, I remember reading he was very influenced by Tribe Called Quest and Low End Theory. Yeah, yeah Low End Theory, and yeah. St- stuff like that. All the bass on and that. Yeah, it's... He just created it, He created a, his own genre from it, just exactly. taking those influences. It was, it was a full Mike focus Dean on works, music. Yeah, Mike Dean works in a, a very similar way. It's the same mentality. Yeah. You know, they're very different sounds, but, you know, as far as the music goes and the intentions behind it, it's all out of passion, out of love. It's all straight up good music, which is yes. what it's about. So basically... Mike Dean is responsible for the soundscapes of American music for nearly the past four decades. And it's all led us to 420. And, you know, as I said earlier, it's hard and it's easy at the same time to believe that this is his first full-length album in that he's been around for so long, doing so much. But he's always so busy working with everyone, literally everyone under the sun, that he Mm. doesn't have time for his own shit. So, as I said, you know, silver lining to this whole situation. He's finally getting some time for himself. <laughs> and we're getting this amazing, amazing collage of sound and yeah. beautiful music. But yeah, I've put a bunch of his, his work and stuff that's been influenced by his work. And kind of the, the whole sudden scene that he was a whole part of in the episode playlist. So be sure to go check that out. So going back to the connection between Mike Dean and um, the rest of hip-hop, so namely The Chronic, which we're going to talk about, he's worked with a group called Ghetto Boys. And to me, I've I've not listened to them that in depth, but I've listened to enough of them and I've read up on them enough to kind of give myself the impression that they're... They they seem to me like a less commercially recognised, grittier version of N.W.A., So if you look at the front cover of their album, We Can't Be Stopped, it's literally Bushwick Bill, after being shot in the face, 
being Whoa. pushed through hospital by Scarface and Willie D. Wow. Oh, that's some hardcore shit, man. That was their <laughs> album cover. Jesus. I mean, that, that that's a statement in and of itself. Yeah. Regardless of the album, that is that's a statement. They're, they're about it. Right. They, I've, I've never heard of this authentic. before. I need to check them out. Yeah, definitely. Bushwick Bill, he appears on The Chronic as well. Mike Dean, I think it was the first hip-hop album he produced. Bushwick Bill's album, Little Big Man. But yeah, Ghetto Boys, definitely check them out. I've, I'll put them in the playlist as well. But their albums, he produced uh, a bunch of their stuff. And Scarface, I mentioned him earlier as well. He was in the group as well. And he's very, very influential on the whole scene. And Scarface, in fact, like, again, this is how it's all interconnected. Scarface is the reason why Mike Dean and Kanye initially hooked up. So without the Ghetto Boys, without Bushwick Bill, without Scarface, there would be no Jesus. There'd be no Twisted Fantasy, no Life of Pablo, none of that. Fair enough, yeah. Might not even be any Travis Scott. Who knows? A lot of the very, very, very iconic music of today, you know. So they laid the foundation with Mike Dean. Exactly, exactly. It's all connected. Mm. When I said about him being at the forefront of three, of at least three waves of music, you know, I'm talking about the 90s shit. I'm talking about Ghetto Boys, the, the Dirty South. Yep. I'm talking about the naughty stuff that he was doing. So that was the early Kanye shit. And then mm. I'm talking about the 2010s, you know, the stuff he was doing with Travis Scott, Beyonce, The Weeknd, all of those guys. So he's he's always been at the forefront of this. And if you don't know his shit, you need to go through his back catalogue because, honestly, this man, without him, music wouldn't be the same. <laughs> he went to LA in about 95 and that's when he started working with a lot of the West Coast artists. Right. So he worked with Tupac. He worked with the Dog Pound, which is Corrupt and Daz Dillinger. He worked with Nate Dog. He worked with I didn't Rose know Mike Dean and, like yeah. was around, has been around since the start of hip hop, pretty he's, much. Exactly, he's a veteran, man. He yeah. is. He is. He is. He is an OG. I, I thought he came up with Kanye, but they know he's been around nah, man. forever. I didn't know this either, man. I, I'm only learning yeah. all this stuff recently. Bushwick Bill, Corrupt, Daz, and Nate, they're all in the Chronic. Mm. And Mike Dean's worked with all of them before the Chronic. So that leads us on seamlessly to our second album, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Now this, this is possibly one of the most influential hip-hop records ever made. Not even hip-hop, records. Yep. This is one of the most influential albums of all time. It's a holy grail of hip-hop. Yeah, it it's insane. If this album was never released, just... I don't think hip-hop would be where it is oh, right no. now. I think, you know, we'd have a different genre that was dominating... Dude, not even not even just hip hop, man. Because if you think about it, hip hop is the most popular genre in the world today. Yep. But it is statistically above everything else. And so, obviously, with that, a lot of pop music, a lot of chart music, embraces a lot of hip hop's sounds. Yeah. And so yeah, we talked about that before. Yeah. It's sometimes not not in the best ways. 
You look at some of the biggest acts of today. Let's take BTS, for example, K-pop. That is huge. And hip-hop's all over their stuff. But, you know, without this album, Dr. Dre, The Chronic, crossing over into into the mainstream, would any of the pop that so many people know and love today be the same? How would it sound without this album? Yeah. It's this album, it kind of took what was pretty underground mm. to it made it mainstream really exactly. and made it more commercially viable really. Exactly. It took like a lot of the influences from stuff like Tribe and Della Soul and bits exactly, like that. Exactly. A lot of East Coast influences and it just took it into this stuff that you could stick on the radio and exactly. like anyone could listen to. I mean, to it. If, if you think about it from just a purely sonic perspective, this album it was a shift from anything that had ever been heard in hip hop yeah. before. Because it was it was it was the first album to fully embrace it it's its well, own genre, exactly, isn't it? G Exactly. Yeah. We'll, we'll come on to that in a bit, but obviously it was the yeah. first album to fully embrace live instruments, singing, melody, all of that stuff, and fusing all of that with an MC. Because up until that point, mm-hmm. most of the genre's production revolved around the DJ. And it, yes. it tended to stick to samples and breakbeats and drum machines. So if you take another defining moment in hip-hop, for example, um, Public Enemy's Nation of Millions, the production yep. on this, it was revolutionary because it utilised um, those those tropes that I just mentioned in a new way. But mm. those techniques, that they, they, they were still at the centre of the album. And so that's why it kind of redefined the gritty, the dark, feel that was so predominant in hip-hop at that time and it was the perfect match for chuck d's social commentary but the chronic on the other hand it was a much groovier more laid-back style of music so there were still plenty of samples in there but obviously as i said you know it's it was layered with a lot of live instrumentation yeah and and all that stuff and as you said it turned it into its own thing it was its own style before before this album dre was already a very well respected producer and he had a very vast back catalogue. And that included two also seminal NWA albums, yes. which arguably changed the world. And he was known for his ear. He was known for his perfectionist approach, his meticulous nature when it came to making music. And his beats mm. had that certain feel, that certain impact that nobody else could ever replicate. Will come close to me. He was he was unique. Before I go any further, I just want to say it's impossible to talk about the chronic without talking about Parliament Funkadelic. So if you don't know about P Funk, it's basically a style that began in the sixties and it was huge in the seventies, and it was basically consisting of bands helmed by a guy called George Clinton. And so many could indeed argue that this was a modernised P-Funk album as opposed to a hip-hop album. And if you want something to back that up, Colin Wolfe, who was Dre's engineer and bassist for this album, said in a 2014 mm. interview with Wax Poetics, check the whole interview out, it's really, really good. But he said, we wanted to make a real Parliament Funkadelic album. That's what he said. Right. So this album was the birth of a style called G-Funk which went on to be one of the most distinguishable subgenres of the 90s. Oh, yeah. And 
we we've been talking about like eighties comebacks and all sorts. I think G Funk's the next comeback. We've got to make oh, it happen. Oh yeah. Because I that, think that's yeah. n- that's, that's not true. something that anyone's touched in terms of nostalgia and stuff. Yeah, we haven't had a G Funk album since G Funk happened. I don't think. That's so true. Man. That's something we need to get on. Because the weekend and Julie, people are starting to clock onto the eighties stuff now. So we're, like... we're doing the eighties nostalgia, right? We yeah. need to get on the next level. Yeah, yeah. We're past 90s, the eighties already. <laughs> When's the trap comeback? Nineties G Funk. <laughs> I think I feel like the eighties ship's starting to sail a bit, but. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some G-Funk tonight. Same, man. Same. Some squealing mugs going. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, G-Funk obviously had the same... Had a very similar feel to P-Funk. And so you had... Typically, you had the slow grooves. You had the deep, funky bass lines. And you had those those squealing synth leads, which are generally from the mini mug. Just listen to it. It's its own genre. But the influence of P-Funk and its material finding its way into G-Funk by the way of samples and interpolations cannot be underestimated. Because another defining Dr. Dre produced album that cemented G-Funk as a key sound of the 90s was Doggy Style by Snoop. And so all the characteristics that I've just mentioned, you know, you can hear it all over this album, but it still sounds worlds apart from the Conic. And you can't have Dre without Snoop. Exactly. Like, and Young. he's Yin another and proponent exactly. of this album. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of the same P-Funk songs were used as the basis for a lot of these G-Funk songs. So for example, a very iconic song called Not Just Knee Deep, which if you listen to that, you may recognize it from De La Soul's Me, Myself and I, which sampled a different part of it. Right. And arguably the most famous part of it. But if you listen to the songs Fuck With Dre Day, G-Funk, the intro of Doggy Style, and Who Am I, What's My Name, Mm. there are loads more. Those songs all share a variation of that knee-deep bass line. And so the way those tracks are all written and arranged around that, again, that's testament to Dre's ear and the musicality that went into the making of these records. So if you don't know P-Funk... You need to get on that. I would recommend listening to the album <laughs> Mothership Connection by Parliament. That's I've not gone through the whole P Funk back catalogue. Um, I'm working my way through mm. it slowly, but so far my favourite's been Mothership Connection. That shit is nice, funky as fuck, man. Next question: Did Dre invent G Funk? So. The origin of G-Funk is very heavily contested. It dates back to when Dre was working on N.W.A.'s second album, I'm going to say Zaggin' for Life, when the producer Cold187, um, I'm not I'm not sure he's supposed to say this, Cold187 with a U-M afterwards, I'm just going to say Cold187, but he was working on his group above the Laws album, Black Mafia Life. And he right. said this, and I quote, The only thing I can say is that G-Funk was my theory. Dre utilised it and made lots of money and commercialised it and I never got credit for it. Which is interesting because even Easy e mm. himself said that Dre stole that style from above the law. However, while Dre may not necessarily have invented the genre and there's a lot of mystery around that, 
was he, yeah. he was responsible for making it sound the way that it did and for it becoming so popular there's there's a lot of these rumors that are trying to take away from exactly. drake yeah. especially like 2001 has a lot of rumors surrounding yeah. it like oh dre didn't produce this you know he only did like half the album but i think yeah you just have to look at his exactly. track record right it's consistency like everything dre's produced yeah everything with his name on it it maybe he's maybe he's amazing at ripping people off but he knows who exactly. to rip off at least <laughs> yeah, it's, it's his ear but i i think personally he's my one of my favorite yeah, producers probably number yeah. one and Definitely. you just have to look at stuff he's doing now with Anderson Pack yeah, and that he's done exactly. recently with Kendrick Lamar. I don't think that you can deny that he's a exactly. genius. You can't he... take away from from Dr. Dre. Yeah, I, I I listened to I've not listened to it in full, but I listened to a few songs um, from Black Mafia Life, and it doesn't sound anywhere near as good as as the Chronic. So while I'm I'm not dismissing the claim that. Dre didn't invent it, and while there's the, that's probably true, you know, Dre probably did bite the idea mm. from someone else, as all great artists do. You know, great art, a lot of it comes from stealing. So Led Zeppelin, for example, yeah, they didn't fucking invent their sound; they were ripping <laughs> off blues, but no, they got away with yeah. it, and they're such legends because they did it so well. Their music's so good. It's the same yeah. principle here. It's not about the the ins and mm. outs of who did what first; it's who did it best. Exactly. We talk about sampling. Sampling's stealing, isn't it? Exactly. If you look at it like that. But it's the art exactly. of creating something new of it. Exactly. And, you listen yeah. to someone like Madlib, how can anyone in their right mind say that that's just lazy music production? That's stealing. It's art, mm. man. It's art. Alright, so I just want to talk about one specific track on here. Uh, that's track two, Fuck With Dre Day, and everybody's celebrating and this was a oh, there's so much you can talk about this track there's so much <laughs> shit going on man this was obviously a diss track towards EZE and mm. obviously it's a great juxtaposition between the beat which is like some funky shit and the lyrics which is obviously dissing EZE and you know if a new listener heard the beat on its own they probably wouldn't guess what the song's about straight away yeah. but anyway what we were saying about other stuff just simply not sounding as good as this was Easy's response to this. Uh, real motherfucking G's. Now, in my opinion, and this is completely subjective, if you disagree, feel free to follow us on Instagram and have a debate with us. <laughs> but Easy's response, real motherfucking G's, is, in my opinion, not as musically rich as Fuck With Dre Day. But you can tell that the beat is inspired by the latter, especially in mm. the bass line and the synth lead. Yeah. And this has a lot to do with the fact that the producer, Rhythm D, had sat in on the Chronic's recording sessions and he wanted to get in on the G-Funk sound. Oh, really? He was sure that it was going to take over. So, wow. So he managed to convince Easy because Easy didn't want to use the sound. But he managed to convince Easy that their response to Fuck With Dre Day was, mm. was going to use this sound. And so, wow. while I think it's still a great instrumental, and lyrically, I think it takes the edge as a diss track. To me, it showcases how Dre influenced the records to follow, as well as cementing the chronic. 
just as a benchmark that has never, ever been surpassed. Do you know, you know the song Rat Tat Tat with this album? Yes. Right, so you know the song Little Ghetto Boy with this album? Yep. There's, if you listen, there is this kind of the, the, the sweeping string kind of kind of thing in Little Ghetto Boy. Oh, yeah. That's used in Rat Tat Tat. That same part. Oh yeah, I think I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. If you listen to it again, it will it will blow your mind. But I heard that and I was like, oh shit, that's crazy. <laughs> but there's so much going on, like instrumentally. Like you've got that. So when the levy breaks, for example, we mentioned that earlier. Mm. Again, I can talk about that song as being my favorite drum break ever. And it's, it's probably my favorite Zeppelin song, to be fair. But that was sampled in Lyrical Gangbang. And that was an amazing use of that break. Just how it's built around. Mm. It's just, oh, this should be played at higher volume, <laughs> preferably in a residential area. And it's it's, yes. it's so perfect, man. I'm not going to go too into levy, box. but... Oh, yeah, honestly. Oh, man. Just imagining that. <laughs> but, I mean, just the the choice of instruments and sounds on this album is incredible. The flute work on here. Like, oh, yeah. In, um, was it obviously there's let me ride there's little ghetto boy the flute solo at the end of little ghetto boy is one of my favorite moments on the album uh, so i haven't looked into that is that sampled or did, nah, that's, did dre get a flute player that's live i was looking at the the credits for this album on the, just on the album sleeve because obviously yeah we got it on vinyl vinyl and that both of us <laughs> but now that was a flute player called katice buckingham and right he's just, just imagine, imagine, imagine <laughs> for the rest of your life, you get to say, I played flute on the chronic. That'd be amazing. That's just, oh man. <laughs> that would, that would just be your career, wouldn't imagine it? Imagine playing someone on the chronic and, and just being like, you hear that flute? That was me. That was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is honestly like the dream as a musician. I, I am to be that one day. I want to be on like some insane groundbreaking album. album but i yeah. just want to have like one tiny sound like <laughs> that's me walking into the studio just i made that knock noise or i i hit that drum it's once that was my claim to fame yeah that's all i want <laughs> <laughs> when we're talking about this album a lot of the time we'll be saying it's the first instance of live instruments in hip-hop and while that's true for a whole album and for something that propels it into the mainstream and going for that whole appeal Dre's process for The Chronic did not start with this album so you gotta go back to mm. Zagging for Life NWA's second and final album <laughs> but you gotta go back to when that was being recorded because he was already experimenting with the P-Funk sound and recording live instruments here as opposed to the classic hip-hop production techniques that I mentioned earlier it's not it's not the whole album. Mm. It's still that same gritty NWA sound, but he was starting to play with play with these techniques a bit more. So in that interview with Colin Wolf that I mentioned earlier, Wolf stated that him and Dre were listening to a lot of P Funk around the time of this album and they really loved Bernie Worrell's sound and he was a notable user of the Minimoog. And so during the sessions he got Wolf to go out and buy one. Like, just straight up, go out and buy a mini mug. Right. And the first time that it was played 
like Wolf played it was on track seven, always into something. And Dre actually verbatim said to Wolf, we need to do some P-Funk sounding shit. Straight up. So wow. going back to the influence <laughs> of P-Funk, you can hear it all over hip-hop. But this is kind of yeah. the, the big shift. This is where it all really started bubbling to the surface. Right. If, if you're interested in the history of hip-hop, you need to check out P-Funk. You need to start understanding that because there would be no hip-hop as we know it without P-Funk. Mm. Simple. Yeah. And actually, what hip-hop was doing with P-Funk has actually been very beneficial to P-Funk because they kind of took a dip oh, yeah, we did. kind of in the 80s and 90s and it only started, you know, resurfacing as the new generation was discovering this music through hip-hop, which I think is yeah. a great thing. We did say no one's doing G-Funk at the moment, but Ice Cube did have an album recently and it didn't do too well commercially but he had a song called the new funkadelic and it was just like classic g-funk sound and it's incredible definitely check that one out we'll stick that in the playlist as well i just want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to the mini moog which i personally believe to be one of the most important instruments to ever grace i and yes that's a very bold statement but i'll tell you why before its birth in 1970, synths were these huge, very, very expensive modular systems that were inaccessible to most people. Literally, no one could afford these things. You couldn't take them anywhere. It was just, it was pointless. But when the Minimoog mm. came about, it was the first proper portable synthesizer. It had a keyboard attached to it. It was the first scaled down synth that people could move around that people could afford as well so it completely changed the game for synthesis and since then it's found its way into pretty much every genre you can think of and it's undeniably changed the soundscape of music so I mean I've just got a list of artists that have used it that includes Bob Marley Rush, Yes Kraftwerk, Gary Newman fucking Sun Ra to name just a few <laughs> I mean obviously you know I've just mentioned like so many different genres you know reggae to prog to fucking synth yeah. to rock to fucking whatever you'd call Sun Ra but like the endless sonic possibilities of this instrument like, and, I, and I say endless endless like mm. that's what made it so so inescapable and it's why it still holds its own today no no plug-in no synth will ever sound like the Minimoog it's truly its own thing yep. and that's, that's why it fascinates me so much man it's honestly it's like what the electric guitar was to rock this was to music yeah in my in my opinion shout out the Minimoog as far as influences for the chronic the music of P-Funk is the most obvious because the sound yeah. as we as we as we were discussing is everywhere on this album but another very important album that inspired it was the low end theory by a tribe called quest which is another brilliant Incredible. amazing Same. album but the jazzy sound of that and the massive emphasis on the low end throughout the album is what caught dre's attention and interestingly q-tip himself has stated that the album 
uh, Low End Theory itself was inspired by Straight Outta Compton. So, you know. Wow. Exactly. So bouncing off each other. That's actually Dre inspired. Com- tribe, competition. Tribe inspired Dre again. So, you know, it's music. It's all related. <laughs> I love yeah. that. It, it shows like they exactly. they were competing against each exactly. other, isn't it's, it? It's all love. I, yeah. I love that. But then we've got the Chronic's influence on music to follow, which honestly can we can talk about that all day. That that can branch out into every single yeah. genre. But the sound that he introduced with his record found its way everywhere, and even on the East Coast, you can hear the Chronic on Ready to Die, the Notorious B.I.G.'s classic. Mm. Even even 100%. his hit single Big Popper is g-funk through and through and the song little getter boy of the chronic that's sampled in the hook of the opener things done changed which is one of my favorites off that record honestly i I think the chronic set the foundation for hip-hop for the next like at least 15 years you know like the the sound evolved from the g-funk p-funk kind of sounds but that form for how to the formula of how he put together those songs it kind of set the foundation for the next 15 and years I think, you know? I think Ready to Die has said that really well because I mentioned Things Done Changed which is the it's the first uh, full song of the album but you know even in the intro mm. uh, leading up to that song it's got like a kind of like like a montage of, of really important songs but one of those is The Shiznit yeah. and obviously that's Dre produced came after the chronic and that's already like, off the top of my head that's three instances on ready to die which is arguably one of the most influential albums ever made not just in hip-hop but mm. ever the chronic it's also credited for kickstarting the careers of a lot of those that featured on it so most notably of course snoop dogg snoop who D-O-G. is not only crucial to the sound of this album but he's one of the most well-known rappers alive today. And oh, his yeah. Dre-produced solo debut, Doggy Style, continued the G-Funk sound, and today is regarded as a defining album of that era. There would be yeah. no Snoop without Dre. It's, it's simple. <laughs> the, the albums kind of go hand-in-hand, hand, isn't it? It's like the next Steve Lucian of the sound. I mean, Snoop sound. was a teenager when he did the, when he did The Chronic. It's weird when you go back and watch the old videos and you see how young they really were. Because you you think of them now and you you think of these legends of the industry and it's weird going back watching the videos and seeing when they were just coming up. like They were like us, you know. They 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 were doing doing at our age, man. It's it's (laughs) insane. Absolutely insane. Even in today's world, The Chronic still holds up as a timeless classic. We, 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 We spoke a lot about Kanye earlier. But he's proclaimed himself that, and I quote, it's the benchmark you measure your album against if you're serious. Kanye said that. Yeah, Kanye said that. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So, Fair I mean, enough, yeah. so many people have tried to replicate the sound, but it's it's never been bettered. I can say, like, if, you, if you're talking about albums that have changed the game. This is up there. I don't know if I could I could mention another one that's done it as much. Like genuinely, I'd, I'd struggle to think. Exactly. Off the top of my head, definitely not. Honestly, man, it's endless, and 
so many successful musicians. I guarantee you talk to them about influential albums and what inspired their style and loads of these pioneering artists. I guarantee most of them will list the chronic up there, no matter what genre. Yeah, we, we and yeah, it's timeless, timeless stuff. You know, when we were in secondary school, what songs were we playing in the playground? We weren't playing <laughs> whatever's popular. We were playing Snoop and Dre exactly. and exactly just yeah, it was timeless it was good stuff. music and MC Mental. But <laughs> I don't think that's going to age as well, but. Yeah, Snoop and Dre, like, it's timeless, sure, yeah. it, it doesn't age. And I mean, obviously, we mentioned this, uh, this impact on pop earlier and how pop has fully embraced hip-hop. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is completely up for debate. But this was the album that propelled hip-hop into the mainstream. Mm. It was in Billboard's top 10 for eight months. Wow. And that basically confirmed gangster rap's commercial viability and you fast forward to today it's the world's most listened to genre and it's it's mad because it all started out at cool herc's house party in 73 Hmm. and you know it's it's since then it's evolved and it's seeped into what seems like every single corner of music you know including the upper echelons of pop you know drake Bruno Mars, fucking K-pop, yeah. as we said earlier. <laughs> and so, yeah, G-Funk itself may have had its heyday, but it's, it's very difficult to imagine the, the massive stylistic shift and diversification and just massive exponential growth of hip-hop without the chronic. Yeah, It was brave, it was innovative, and it's inspired countless producers and musicians and just generations across all genres and honestly, I think forever, it, it's always going to remain an essential listen for anyone attempting to understand the evolution of not only hip-hop, but music in general. So, The Chronic, listen to that shit. So, just to wrap up, we've gone over Mike Dean, one of the most pivotal figures in hip-hop for a very long time and we've (laughs) gone over Dr. Dre another one of the most important figures in hip hop of all time Yeah, and we discussed how those two have linked together we've discussed two of their own solo, well actually yeah we've discussed both of their solo debuts yeah I think clock that till now but you have to see like I've struggled with this episode because I don't think I can add anything that the music doesn't already do you know like these albums are so good it's just a producer flexing like just showcasing the best they can do and i i feel like i can't critique this i can't (laughs) say anything about bad about either album because they're they're insane just stop listening to this podcast if you are thank you for listening <laughs> yeah thank but you go listen to these albums and then and then come back and listen to our next episode yes as always songs are in the playlist check that out we've got the master playlist and we've got the companion playlist to this episode thank you for listening check out everything we've mentioned you won't regret it it's all amazing music <laughs>